nothing but easy! Because it's time for SummerSlam! The Queen Charlotte Flair issues an open challenge to Hall of Famer Trish Stratus! In what will truly be a match made in heaven! And then, fantasy turns to flames! In a match made in hell! Former Universal Champion Seth Rollins, beaten and wounded, attempts to regain the title from the Red Hot Beast Incarnate, Brock Lesnar! It's time for Red Hot Action! It's time for SummerSlam! Hello everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Episode 30, Midlife Crisis. I'm your host, the Doctor of Men, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H marking show business, Mr. Kyle Canberry. Hello, welcome to our 30th episode. And that's just made me realise that you said midlife crisis. That's, uh, that's me next <laughs> <month>. <laughs> <Shit>. Yeah. <laughs> the previous episode, the podcast got as old as us. Yeah. Now it's going to briefly surpass us. Oh dear. Until next time. How are you doing, Kyle? How was it wondrous? Fantastic. We've got a team now of people I have no idea you know, who they are, but they just played with their hearts on the sleeve and just give it all out there and that's all we asked for. And... I feel like we've got the fans back, which seems ridiculous, you know, people come and watch them every week, but, mm. you know, there was no shit chance, it was just, we chanted for them throughout the whole match, every kick, you know, we were there with them. I've probably not had that at Wondrous match for easily three or four seasons, mm. which seems insane, but it just, I don't know, I, I feel like this is the start of something new now, we just need to get the finances sorted and then... Off we go, I guess. We'll see. Hopefully, that can all get sorted really quick, and then we can be up and running with this new young team, 19 years old, average age. Oh my God. Yeah. Our keeper was 17 years old. Oh, are you serious? 17. Blimey. I've it's like Brick Press. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> learning at 14 and getting in the ring at 17. I mean, these <laughs> numbers are insane, but they played fantastic you know bodies on the line against a, a commentary team that they're all professionals there you know it was like David and Goliath and we we got away with a nil-nil and we celebrated like we'd won the league it yeah. was amazing that's really hard I did hear tickets were shifting pretty well yeah unlike Ring of Honor at the Devere White suite <laughs> <laughs> yeah Brick West Away Days on Twitter checked out the ticket situation as of Friday, I think he checked, and there were 73 tickets sold. Oh my word. <laughs> but, like, this is the rescue plan that the administrators <laughs> have, have come up with. <laughs> this failing Western promotion. <laughs> I know what will save a club. We'll book a triple threat match between the Bouncers and the Kingdom and Coast to Coast. <laughs> so, anyway, ringside seats are £70, and the very, very back rows are 30 quid. Oh my word. Jeez. No wonder they're not selling. I know. 73. I mean, you know, you've got to hand it to the wrestlers that go out there. I mean, they've still got to do a job, but it must be bad when you're looking around and got two people dotted here, three people dotted there. I know. 
Yeah, it's been bad, like especially the most recent Hammerstein shows. The top balconies been closed off and been moving people forwards. Yeah. I forget what the previous super show was. I think it was like Best in the World or something. And yeah, that was they literally put everybody onto the ground floor just to move yeah. everybody up and, and give the wrestlers some people to interact with. Yeah. It's crazy to think, like, a few years ago how big Ring of Honor was, you know, selling out shows and stuff, and now, look at them. I know. Mm. I know we're not exactly giving them the hard sell, but if anybody is interested yeah. in ironically going yeah. with us, <laughs> <laughs> give us a bell. <laughs> Time of recording is the morning of SummerSlam 2019. We are here in the very distant past. I'm just trying to mix up the format a bit, because... To be honest, these modern WWE pay-per-views and super shows are a wee bit exhausting to get through. Yeah. So, we're going to do something that we're going to call expectation versus reality here. Kyle and I are going to discuss the card and some of the ongoings in WWE ahead of the show itself. And then give us, however long our conversation lasts here, and you'll be hearing us talking through what actually went on at the show. It looks like things have been tweaked a little bit here with this one and they've been doing some streamlining. So with it being the SummerSlam, one of the big four, there's a two-hour pre-show. Yeah. And it looks like the pay-per-view itself has been allotted four and a half hours on the network, which is a tiny bit smaller than the five hours you usually expect nowadays. But even, like, extreme rules and, like, the B-shows are getting four hours yeah. on their own with a pre-show as well. It does seem a bit crazy. I'm not a fan of these big pay-per-views in the sense that I feel like you always hit a lull at some point. You know, we've come to expect it at WrestleMania and I feel like WrestleMania is that one time where you don't give a shit because it's WrestleMania. You know, you just battle through because you want to watch Mania from beginning to, to end. But with stuff like this, like your normal pay-per-views, like, surely they can cut them down so then when we have the big four and they're much longer, there's a reason for it. So to, to have, like, SummerSlam on the same, or near enough same length as just a generic normal pay-per-view just seems a bit bonkers to me. They should maybe cut down the generic pay-per-views, have just matches that make sense... And then your summer slams is where you beef it up a bit. Agreed. Because, I mean, there has been some pretty worthwhile stuff on the pay-per-views before this. Yeah. What was the really... One with a really lame name called Stomping Grounds. So that, that was your basic show of two halves. Yeah. Everything up to the SmackDown title match was great, I thought. Everything after that fell off a cliff. Yeah. Extreme Rules the month after was much, much better. Yeah. I had a lot of stuff that I enjoyed there, but it does just feel so exhausting to me. It's something that I think they need to look at. However, is it something that's screaming at them as something they need to change? Probably not. I'm pretty sure that it's not just us that highlight this. I think you know quite a few people see this as an issue, but who are we to tell WWE what to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one match advertised for SummerSlam that wound up happening on TV the week before, and one match that was expected to happen on SummerSlam happening on TV the week before. So on 
the Raw leading up to SummerSlam, we had the women's tag team title Fatal 4-Way elimination match. Yeah. Which we saw new champions in Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, which I was elated at because I think it's one of the best stories going at yeah. the minute. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. My thing about it is it just screams out Alexa Bliss turn. Yeah. Like throughout the whole thing and that will happen down the line I can I can see that you know but like you I'm, I'm really enjoying this it's one of those we talked about it briefly on the previous episode tag teams that wouldn't normally work mm. and this one this one works so yeah it's good definitely it's a shame it didn't get on the main show the state of what they've been doing with the women's tag titles yeah like Kyrie debuted the SmackDown after WrestleMania and the way it was lining up was like, okay, well, they're going to be saving Kyrie and Asuka versus the Iconics for the SummerSlam match. Yeah. And it turns out, oh, well, okay, that blatantly isn't the plan anymore because we have to have these yeah. other teams get their share of the storyline and yeah. stuff. And so if that's the case, well, why didn't you do that on an earlier pay-per-view then? Yeah. I'd have loved to see that match properly. Well, you if know? the graphics guys got the names right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. My thing with the, the women's tag belts is that they built it up so much of the women now get a tag team belt. This is unheard of. This is like, you know, well, unheard of within WWE. You know, this is a new thing. Boom. And then once Bailey and Sasha had dropped the belts, that was it. They just disappeared. You know, no disrespect to the Iconics, but they just weren't used it. It's, just, it's one of those sad things where they're just forgotten about and it's I don't think it's to do with the, the forget about them on purpose but I think that they're so focused on other stuff instead of having, I don't know, like all your storylines laid out and saying, right, well, we move this here and we move this here and we move this here. Instead, it's more focused on what will draw the audience and not more of a, a laid out plan. Yeah. Smackdown are particularly crap at keeping track of their storylines, yeah. especially when it comes to the women's division. Numerous matches cancelled at the last minute, even though they've been advertised a whole week beforehand yeah. in advance. You've hit the nail on the head, really, Kyle. The Iconics are an entertaining team. Mm. They just don't get the TV time. Yeah, it's just a shame. I mean, again, it's not just women's tag team. It's tag- the tag team division in general. None of the men's tag team champions have matches no. either. You've seen VOC not <laughs> more prominently appearing in storylines. Which, which I like, because I think the talent that them two have, it was an absolute travesty that they weren't getting any airtime. Mm. So it's nice that they've got the belts, but again, not going to see them on SummerSlam, and if we do, it'll be a kickoff five-minute show. Yeah, I think they're going to be lackeys in AJ's match, yeah. which we'll get to. Yeah, and also Alistair Black versus Sami Zayn, which is a match I was excited for, yeah. suddenly happened on SmackDown instead of SummerSlam. I just think that they feel maybe that the SummerSlam card's too stacked. I don't know, it's one of them. Is having it on SmackDown better than having it on the SummerSlam pre-show? Is that the way that they were feeling? If it was to be on SummerSlam, it was going to be on the kickoff. Did it deserve to be on the kickoff? That's why we want it to go on SmackDown so predominantly more people would see it. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel overall it's a really poor follow up to that little nice little peak that they had with Ali and his oh, 
who's going to fucking challenge me? Come on, lads, step up. And then Cesaro came, and they had an absolutely awesome match at Extreme Rules. Yeah. Like, one of the WWE matches of the year so yeah. far. And same old SmackDown syndrome. They had the rematch for next week, and then Ali disappeared again yeah. for a good while. This might change once Bischoff gets his hands on it full-time in October, especially since, because it's going to be on a completely separate channel the roster and the storylines are going to have to be completely separate. Mm. There'll be no swapping around now that they're completely separate. So we may begin to see a more streamlined show. It's possible you might see the same names swap around a little more Mm. instead of what it was last week where it was just so chaotic where anybody and everybody went over fuck what the yeah. actual written laws of the wild card rule supposedly were because yeah. oh we need to get all of this stuff in before SummerSlam because it's not going to happen at actual SummerSlam yeah it wasn't a Raw or Smackdown it was just a WWE show <laughs> basically yeah. yeah on the same note I want to talk about a handful of these feuds here that kind of felt like they are going to be leading up to a match at SummerSlam and then there's just radio silence on it and I feel like it might have hurt those feuds a little bit McIntyre and Cedric they had their match on yeah. for Raw before anyway and that was more of a thing to advance Bray Wyatt's fiend Cedric had that ridiculous situation where he was dressed as the janitor yeah. to team up with Roman lost in like two minutes and like bro it's me it's Cedric and Roman's like Oh, yeah, good job, Don. Like, you lost it all. <laughs> Not only did he lose, but I was actually surprised that it was Cedric, considering how bad he was in the ring. I don't know whether it, that mask wasn't helping him at all. Probably is being under the hood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But as soon as he lifted the mask off, and I was like, holy shit, what? But yeah, I know what you mean. I think they're trying to be careful with Drew, aren't they? He is going to be without copyright and Brock Lesnar he's going to be the next big thing isn't he they're being careful with him which I'm happy with I don't want them to, to ruin Drew he's doing well take him away from Shane please yeah <laughs> absolutely Shinsuke and Ali looked like they were building up to an IC title match but sort of technically happened on Smackville <laughs> due to a, a last minute injury for someone else I think it was yeah it's Shinsuke in general. They've not been using him at all. And then I thought, alright, they've given the belt. Right, okay. And they still don't use him. <laughs> it's like... He had that like, a good couple of weeks after he got the championship and even the match where he won the championship. It's like, okay, he's starting to turn it on again. Yeah. Pretty good match with Finn. Had a good match with Apollo Crews yeah. on SmackDown. Yeah. And I heard what he did with Ali on SmackVille was decent too. Yeah, but it was. It was a good match. Yeah, I think the the problem is wrestlers that are really good are falling, not behind, but they're kind of they're getting lost, aren't they, in the the whole stardom of it. Well, right, there's there's too many wrestlers on the yeah, show, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, like what we mentioned before, nothing going on with the Raw tag title scene, which was weird to how we just had a title change, yeah, and things like that. Just a list of some of these other wrestlers who don't have matches scheduled for SummerSlam or the kickoff show from the looks of it. Braun, Samoa Joe, Rey Mysterio, Andrade, they had a killer match on Raw the week before, apparently. Yeah. New Day, 
Elias, Naomi, Lacey Evans. Big list. Take Lacey Evans. <laughs> She's gone Please. on vacation along with Barry from the looks of it. Yeah. One last thing that we should talk about before we go on to things that are actually firmly booked on the card. What the fuck are they doing with Roman? <laughs> the fucking oh. forklift rivalry. Yeah. As if it's a game of Shenmue. Yeah. <laughs> I've no idea. This will never happen. Part of me thought when he had his little car accident, but afterwards he was being consoled by Triple H. And I was like, oh my God, is he behind all of this? <laughs> that won't happen, but I, that kind of got me a little excited. I don't know what they're doing. The, the rumour was that it was Brian... They've not helped themselves if it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, Rowan has now been implicated yeah. in... I don't know which incident it was, or maybe both incidents. They've not mentioned it on Raw, but there was a guy on Twitter that had tweeted a picture when he'd re-watched Raw, and in the CCTV camera of the set falling, you can see Rowan in the background. Right. So I don't know whether they've digitally placed him there or mm-hmm. whatever, but... He's in that CCTV show. Mm. But again, what's going to happen with that? Are we going to see a little bit of payoff? Is Reigns going to come out and say, right, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. He's doing this and, you know, I, I don't know. Well, if you want to do Roman versus Daniel Bryan, just go ahead and do it. I'd love to see that match again. Yeah, so would I. Just, just flat out say, we're going to have Roman wrestle yeah. Bryan at SummerSlam and you'll have me hooked. Yeah. What, what are you even doing here? And then there's all this bollocks. Brian has this important career announcement that he's put off two weeks running. And decided to go mute. <laughs> yeah. And he's wrestling normally against the New Day the week before SummerSlam. But I mean, no disrespect to Rowan at all, but if they then go and say, oh, this is the header of the rivalry, we now have Reigns versus Rowan... Let's be honest, the excitement isn't exactly going to peak, is it? What are you talking about, Kyle? Rowan, the man who retired the rock, you mean? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. It baffles me. Sometimes the writing is spot on and you really get a payoff. And, you know, our big example this year was how well done Mania was. We said Mania was spot on with the finishes and how everything was built up. Yeah. And then we get to August and they've lost paperwork or they've, you know, Vince is deciding to change the show half an hour before it goes on. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what's going to happen. Let's look at what we have that's concrete for the card. Now, at time of recording, they've not listed what's going to go on the pre-show, but out of what has been booked so far, the, lead, <laughs> the leading candidate to go on the pre-show <laughs> would be the Cruiserweight Championship match between Drew Gulak and Oni Larkin. Yes, great choice of challenger here for me. Yeah, he's absolute gold on Twitter. Everything's in capitals. Yeah. And his stories don't make any sense. But yeah. <laughs> And he's got this big vendetta against Super Dragon yeah. <laughs> when he used to be in PWG. Did you see his tweet the other day about when he was sleeping under a bench or something and a woman gave him some soup? Oh, God. I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I'm looking forward to that match. 
for anyone keeping track of me watching two or five, uh, yeah. I do watch it again now. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what, <laughs> I was going to ask if it's time for our purple patch again. Yeah. What, what have you been enjoying lately? I'm enjoying the storylines at the moment because I feel like they kind of went off off kilt a little bit and we're really getting back down into the, the nitty gritty of it. I'm still quite confused with Drake, him being the GM and then him running around on Raw and SmackDown right, yeah. for the 24-7 Championship. That doesn't make any sense to me. And especially on 205 when he's been having the rival with Mike Kanellis and he said he doesn't want to get back in the ring You've run it around for a championship. What do you mean you don't want to get back in the ring? Well, technically, it's the only championship he doesn't need to be in the ring to win. So he's yeah, probably well, like, ah, fuck it. You know? But, like, in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't make any sense. I know, yeah. So the whole rival with that was really nice. Mike Kanellis and Drake had a match. Drake said, well, if you beat me, you get a shot at the Cruiserweight title. The match for me was really good. Drake won. Mike Kanellis then went back to Maria and, you know, we've seen what's happened on Raw. And Drake announced that we were having a six-pack elimination match. If you get six cruiserweights in a match, it's just going to be amazing anyway. Yeah. My only thing about the match was there was a lot of what we say with the Royal Rumble, a lot of they've fallen out of the ring and disappeared Got you. while the the rest of them fight that was kind of a bit of an annoyance for me surely there's something else that they could be doing than resting up but only Larkin deserved winner and I really hope that he beats Drew Gulak mm, yeah very good right at the top of my list of things to watch uh, the pair of Chad Gable and Jack Gallagher matches mm. that they've done recently yeah. They look amazing. And, yeah. Oh my God. I really like Chad's new look. Yeah. Long term, you got to imagine he's the guy to dethrone Gulak. My only thing is that for me, a cruiserweight is someone who is a spot monkey. True. No disrespect to cruiserweights. You know, they do what they do. But I, I like to see flips. I like to see, you know, all these incredible moves. And at the moment, the top end where the belt is, there isn't a lot of that. Right. That's my only concern but mm. as in wrestling wise and, and entertainment is brilliant it's really yeah. good it's going to be a nice moment for Gulak wrestling in a big arena in Toronto where he did a lot of work for Smash Wrestling yeah as well moving on then to Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler for some reason after it was originally The Miz versus Dolph Ziggler for the 25th time Miz graciously gave up his spot for Goldberg, which is like the most on-the-nose yeah. metaphor for what's going on <laughs> in mainline WWE shows at the minute. And Dolph's also been getting gobby with Shawn Michaels recently all while this is going on, and I'm just really confused And why do we need this match. So, well, there's a few points here. The first one is, why is Goldberg in this match? Yeah. Okay. My only thing is he's trying to save face with the shit show that happened in Saudi. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, why have The Miz and Dolph Ziggler tomorrow on Raw already announced after a pay-per-view? Oh. 
I didn't realise that was the thing, right? Okay. So it's already been announced, it's already on WWE okay. that Dolph will fight the Miz tomorrow. Why? Because I'm not interested in that match. Regardless, I'm now even less interested knowing that I know what Dolph's doing tomorrow. Mm. I don't know anything that you already know another match is coming up. I feel like I don't well, I don't want to watch this match then. Right. Kind of ruins the the whole live sort of thing. Mm. I would much prefer if it was Sean, Michaels versus Dolph Ziggler. We all know about the whole, oh, they're retired, coming out of retirement. But if they were going to choose a legend, I'd rather have been Sean. Okay. Just because of all of the times that they relate Dolph to Sean. And every time Dolph does a super kick now, they keep calling it switching music. I mean, they're a few years too late here now, but <laughs> they're slowly giving Dolph all of Sean's stuff. So it'd have been cool to see Sean versus Dolph. Do you think they're saving it for Saudi? Potentially, but then, other than a very big paycheck, what's Sean gaining out of going over on Dolph? Mm-hmm. What's anybody <laughs> gaining <laughs> well, from beating yeah. Dolph Ziggler nowadays? Come yeah. on. Um, yeah. I don't know. No. Unless they're doing it to big Dolph up and Dolph's about to get a big run. I don't have... Mm. I don't know. I'm kind of expecting Goldberg's going to make Dolph go squishy squash and then that's going to lead into some angle where that advertised match doesn't actually happen because Dolph's all beat up or something. Yeah. I just feel like it's a great shame what's happened to The Miz. After all the work he's put into his face turn and the tremendous job he did with that and leading into his rivalry with Shane. Yeah. That gets no resolution whatsoever. Yeah. Moves on to something else and he comes up on the losing end and he's just been cast aside so many times. Yeah. I was feeling like if you really feel like Miz is expendable in that he can afford to take a loss and still be over afterwards, why not make him the one to put over Bray's fiend? But we'll get into that when we get to it. That's good point. My thing with Miz is I feel like there's something going on behind the scenes where Miz isn't seen as much because he's maybe spending more time with Maurice or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Miz is one of those where I don't think it's the writers that are making the Miz how he is. I feel like this might be through the Miz himself. We'll never know. Hmm. So we've also got in a rematch from Extreme Rules, AJ Styles defending his United States Championship against Ricochet. That was another pretty good match from Extreme Rules, but I don't know about you. Direct rematches happening at SummerSlam. A rematch from something that's literally just happened a month or two before feels yeah. a little underwhelming to me. Yeah. Even if they are great wrestlers, it's still like, well, you've already done this isn't yeah the only thing that I would say if it was to be a direct rematch is have a stipulation yeah precisely yeah so if you're gonna use the same sort of people put them in some fresher scenarios yeah I feel yeah I'm really looking forward to the match I think they're both phenomenal (laughs) my only thing not just with this match but the show in general it's lacking any sort of stipulation. 
other than Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon, the rest, they're all just singles, which seems quite boring for a SummerSlam. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that's pretty plain. Not just the matches that have been booked, but the, the way the build's been working. Yeah. We've also got Finn Balor's taking on Bray Wyatt's Fiend, which I'm kind of excited about. I've been pretty pleased with like the execution of turning this Firefly Funhouse character into an in-ring character. It's sort of around how I expected it to work, you know, with yeah. happy, you know, Pee-wee's Playhouse type Bray being the on-screen vignette and like, don't wake up a fiend, and then the fiend is the in-ring aspect of the character. Yeah. Finn reportedly is due for some time off or something, which is probably why he's going to be the first victim here. Yeah. Which I suppose, in writing terms, that works fine. Because how else do you build up a character like The Fiend, take out someone like Finn? I really like The Fiend. I think that it's it's really good. My only concern moving forward is, feud-wise, they need to be careful. They need to protect the character. Because I think that's where Bray fell flat previously is they didn't really look after the character. Yeah. And it was a bit iffy-wiffy, all-over sort of character. And if he is going to be in a rivalry, will we ever see The Fiend or Bray cut a promo live? Mm-hmm. You know, will it always be Titantron? If it is, I mean, it's good now, but will we get sick of that down the line of, you know, we're never going to have a live Bray Wyatt? But as for the match, I'm really looking forward to it. We kind of know the result due to Finn taking time out, so, yeah. Another one you mentioned previously, Kyle, Kevin Owens taking on Shane McMahon, and if Owens loses, then he has to walk away from WWE. This is just Stone Cold versus Vince, isn't it? Basically. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited by this. Kevin Owens is absolute gold on TV, him on social media. They need to get rid of Shane. No disrespect to Shane, but He's had his time now. Maybe this is when that happens. I'd hope so. What I really hope doesn't happen is Shane wins and they use this as a vehicle for Kevin Owens to be this like off-screen kind of, oh, you did Kevin Owens a dirty, you know, and someone else is going to fight for him. Basically like for the pink slip match, you know, the Rock and Mankind thing and then The Rock got all of the roster to revolt like that, but just stretched out for months because that's what WWE like to do now (laughs) Yeah, well not on Kevin Owens, watching TakeOver this morning, did O'Reilly have the KO graphic on his knee? I don't know if it would be the exact same one, but like Fish had a spot on his trunks that was his initials it probably wasn't intended to. But because it, it, it was stylized as the KO. Oh. And I was like, that's really weird. I mean, it, obviously that's his initials, but it just seemed really bizarre. If, surely they should have stylized it differently. But it was it was the KO style. Right. Like, what? But, I mean, there's there's always been the, the whole thing of, of the Kevin Owens and Adam Cole. Well, yeah, they love each other, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So it could be... Something to do with that, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Smackdown Women's Championship match, Bailey defending against Ember Moon. Interesting choice of challenger that's going to make for a intriguing match. It should be fun. The 
build-up has felt just a little bit vanilla to me. I have not eaten into this rivalry at all. It's just a match that I will watch because it's on SummerSlam. Mm. That's no disrespect to either of them. It's, like you say, the build-up has just been horrendous. So there's no investment from me on this match. We'll see how it goes. I feel feel like as an in-ring performer, Ember is one of the best possible opponents for Bailey if they're going to be determined to keep Charlotte away from her. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's because it's it's face versus face still. Yeah, it's always difficult when you have face versus face, heel versus heel. Strange one. Yeah. I'm expecting Bailey to retain. Yeah. If Ember Moon takes the championship, it will definitely be a shock because at no point like we said during this rivalry has there ever been a oh Ember Moon could take this belt mm. WWE Championship match Kofi Kingston against Randy Orton again fairly interesting choice of challenger for Kofi here yeah. even though Orton's not been up to a great deal compared to some of the other matches it was a lot easier to get a little bit of intrigue into this one just because of their past history. Yeah, I always love matches that have a past just because you can just delve more into it and and the storylines and stuff. Let's be honest, the last time this match was going to happen, Kofi wasn't exactly as slick as he is now in the ring and I think that was the big issue back then, wasn't it? And Um, Orton was a lot more prone to tantrums and... Yeah. So, I'm looking forward to this. As much as I love Kofi, I'd like to see Randy win. I just think it'd upset the cart a bit. Because I think at the moment, Kofi's running on what I would call an untouchable streak. And I think to knock everyone back down to earth, we need an upset. Just to get everyone to be like, oh, okay, so Kofi isn't untouchable. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I feel Kofi is at the moment. I feel like in terms of traditionally what makes a strong champion, they've been doing very well with Kofi, getting him wins and stuff. But the matches themselves and some of the choices of rivals that they've had for him has been a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. I'd have loved for them to have kept going with Joe, but they just kind of made him like challenger of the month and like, oh yeah, okay, there's no problem for Kofi whatsoever. He can get past Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the match, but I, I'd like to see an upset. Mm. I'm personally still holding out on Kofi retaining. So I just kind of feel like the verbiage Orton's been using in his promos has been a little bit harsh, so that if Kofi were to lose, it would do a little bit of damage to like the reputation of his title reign. Yeah, I see that. I, I also think that if they want to stick with tradition, Orton needs to win. Because every time they do a documentary focus on a champion, oh no, <laughs> they always lose. Uh. Ricochet was the last culprit of that. It could continue, and Randy'll win, and then they'll go, "Oh, tune in after SummerSlam for the Kofi documentary." <laughs> Another one here where the match itself, I'm like, "Fuck yes!" The execution of how it came to light. Uh, is Trish Stratus taking on Charlotte Flair in what is possibly the most predictable match of the show because Trish has hinted that this is going to be her final match. 
Charlotte's going to retire Trish. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. I just feel like you've had like a full year where you've known this is going to happen at Toronto. Either they didn't reach out to Trish soon enough or Trish has been going back and forth over whether to do this mm. a, a little bit and it is a little more 11th hour than we appreciate. But Charlotte has not been doing anything of great importance since she lost the title from Bailey's cash-in. Yeah. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, I've got nothing left to do. Oh, why didn't someone step up to me? And then Trish just answers, just because. Yeah. I feel like there could have been like a, a much better way of setting this match up. It feels so generic. Yeah. They could have done Charlotte have, still have the belt. You know, I've beaten everybody who wants to take it. Well, seeing as it's in Toronto, I'll do it. I want one last championship run. You know, that sort of thing. They could have yeah. gone down that route. That's very cardboard box storyline, but it's better than what this one is. <laughs> Trish has tried to add a little bit of fire to things on Twitter, but it's come off a little bit petty in my book. Yeah. And I've had my uh, say on her feelings there. Yeah. And watching the uh, SmackDown as well with King's Court, I cringed a little bit the fact that Harley Race has passed away and that she'd clearly been told that she needed to get in the Harley Race court. And I felt it was a bit cringeworthy. Like, they'd attacked each other and then Trish out of nowhere went, and to quote Harley Race! And then it was the, the quote about the lights. And, that, and I was like, it, it wasn't placed in the right place, mm. you know. It is what it is. We'll, we'll see. You know, I, I'm expecting it to be a good match because... Trish is one of the all-time greats. Charlotte is the modern all-time great. I am expecting a good match. Yeah, same. And our two headline championship matches for the Raw Women's Championship, it's Becky Lynch against Natalia in a submission match. I could kind of see what they're doing with this. Always Toronto give Natty a shot, but this just makes it feel so clear to me how much the field has thinned out in the Raw Women's division that this is their first idea to go to. Yeah. And, I mean, like we're saying, Bailey and Ember was lacking a little bit about it being face versus face. They tried a few different things with this rivalry with Becky and Natty that it's like, oh, right, okay, they really want to get at each other. I don't know at what point it became a submission match. That just came out of nowhere. Yeah. I think... The problem they have with Becky now is because Becky's very much fuck the system, she gets cheered whether she's face or heel. It's a privilege for a superstar to be like that. You know, we've said before, there's only a select few that that get that, Randy Orton being another one. But when you're trying to find a challenger, it's very difficult to try and get that challenger over as what you want them to get over when your opponent is getting cheered regardless. I think they tried a little bit to get Natalia over when Becky kept the submission on and Trish, you know, pushed her away and said, mm-hmm. whoa, hold on a minute, and then looked after Natalia. So there was hints there, but I, I just don't think there's there's a lot of investment in Natalia. But it, again, similar to Kofi, I feel like Becky's in untouchable territory. So it'd be nice to see Natalia win. 
I mean, I guess that's the problem, really, isn't it? If you're the, the fuck the system person and you're the champion for so long, mm. aren't you the system now? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Just please don't do another Montreal reference, oh, for the love of God. Yeah. yeah. And then our big headline match in the men's division with the Universal Championship on the line. Brock Lesnar defending against Seth Rollins, whose ribs have been fucked. Yeah. I've no idea how this match is going to go, considering the last Raw where Seth pretty much just couldn't walk. I mean, let's be honest. There's no way that he can miraculously be ready for this match. It's going to be the lead story of this. Oh, his ribs are completely fucked. Yeah. What's going to happen next? So, is there going to be a surprise challenger that Seth tags out and a surprise challenger comes in? Roman possibly I got quite excited about that idea <laughs> <laughs> I know you want to pop into this yeah. match Kai. I mean that would let's be honest I would pop my rocks off if that happened I really don't know where this is going I hope to god it's not Brock getting in the ring Seth crawling to the ring Brock F5 and in pin done that's it mm-hmm. I really hope there's more to it because I'll be really disappointed with that. I'm really hoping it's not a scenario where Brock retains whatsoever. Yeah. I know Seth's been putting his foot in his mouth a lot, really doubling down on some of his initial comments that he made where he was trying to sort of rally the troops and stuff when he was still the champion. Yeah. But he's still a much better option than Brock. Come on, lads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really don't want Brock to retain other than... Seth tagging out for someone else I, I can't really see what the options are maybe the only the most prestigious champion in all of WWE will come out and our truth goes title for title against Brock <laughs> that would be incredible <laughs> <laughs> have you seen what was happening at the meet and greet the other day no our truth was one of the meet and greet people at the SummerSlam at Fan Access and this rather short-looking blonde dude decked up in Cena gear was there with his mate who was in a very conspicuous-looking jacket. Yeah. He's, like, there hugging Truth, getting ready for his photo op, and then his mate turns around, unzips the jacket, it's a referee shirt, the Cena kid is actually Drake Maverick, <laughs> and he goes to roll him up. <laughs> and then, in the background, Titus O'Neil was like, Hey, fuck it, I want to get into this as well. And he tries to pin Truth and Truth skedaddles and someone in the queue is like, what about our meet and greet? <laughs> Do you expect any 24-7 antics tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah there will be. I mean, let's be honest, we piled a lot of shit on this belt and they're doing the best they can. I'm enjoying it. It, it is comedy. <laughs> it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's given new life to characters that probably wouldn't be seen as much. Mm, yeah. As far as things go overall, I'd say... Mm, what's the match I'm looking forward to the most? Probably Trish and Charlotte, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, that should be a good one. There's a few that I'm looking forward to, but for me, I'm quite interested to see how Bray fares with his new get-up and, sure, yeah. and seeing how that goes. Yeah, and sleeper hit for me is going to be Bailey and Ember. Like, 
we're saying the, the storyline's just like okay well this is happening I guess but I think in the ring yeah 100% agree with you there I think it'll be one of those matches because there's no interest in it it will definitely be better than what we're expecting it to be mm. what are your predictions for the matches Charlotte the Fiend Bailey, Seth Gulak AJ Kofi Natty what have we got left Goldberg and Ziggler no Goldberg <laughs> but... I thought you might have said Ziggler <laughs> really um, Owens and Shane Owens yeah so mine Drew to retain The Fiend Ricochet because I feel like Ricochet may have some friends who would like to come out okay yeah right and get rid of the OC uh-huh. Goldberg Owens Bailey Charlotte Orton Natty and Neither Seth or Brock. Oh, right. Interesting. Right, that sets us all up. So, let's go do a cinema swirl. Oh, wait, that's a wrong podcast. back in the room well I don't know about you Kyle but I think we can agree summer was comprehensively slammed after that event yes I do agree I I very much enjoyed it It it's a very good pay-per-view I'm looking forward to our little review (laughs) yeah Sunday the 11th of August 2019 from the Scotiabank Arena formerly the Air Canada Centre in Toronto Canada 16,904 fans in attendance Unsurprisingly, the kickoff show kicked off with the only match that was actually confirmed out of the three that we got in the end. The Cruiserweight title match. Yep. And the arena was half empty right after I said, oh, it's going to be such a good thing, Drew Gulak in front of that big arena full of people. <laughs> but it's a really pacey start and then they just went straight to wrestling. Yeah. It was a little bit odd. Yeah. Very, very mat heavy for an opening match. Yeah. I was surprised as well. Only he survived such really vigorous variants of Gulak's Gulak. Yeah. I just appreciate Oni because he runs really, really fast at people so that he can hit them really, really hard. Yeah. Running theme of tonight, which seems like a bit of a hangover from TakeOver, everybody seems to be doing the style of sequence where it's like oh you miss a clothesline now I miss a clothesline and then we're going to do a stereo clothesline that knocks us both out yeah I suppose that's sort of what made TakeOver so good like those sort of manoeuvres and I don't know whether it's a a cheap thing of oh well it works at TakeOver so why don't we do it and let's see if we can like raise the bar to TakeOver the Cyclone Crash sees Gulak retain after 8 minutes and 45 seconds. It was decent, but I don't really feel like Oni got beyond brawling in this match. No. Didn't get to showcase as wide a range of stuff. The 205 that was on this week, they had a rematch. 
and that match was much better for me. That's what I've heard, yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out. Did you see what we were speaking about on his Twitter game earlier? Yeah. He was complaining, Bullshit, I should get a rematch! I was punched in the throat! And then some troll replied to him, LOL, that match sucked. And Oni replied, I know I got punched in the throat! <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a big thing now. If your Twitter game's on point, then you're doing well with the fans. Kevin Owens is another one, you know. To be so tongue-in-cheek on Twitter kind of gets you over. Rollins and Gargano should be taking now. Yeah. As predicted, we got some 24-7 title antics. Truth and Carmella hiding underneath the kickoff desk yeah, yeah. when Drake showed up. I was watching all the kickoff show and up to the Goldberg match with Kathy. And when Drake came on the screen, she's like, oh, it's cute. He's as tall standing up as they are sitting down. <laughs> yeah. We had two more impromptu matches added the night of the show. First one saw Apollo Crews taking on Buddy Murphy. Buddy's got these weird flame rimmed tights. Yeah. yeah, it looks like he's just had an accident in the back. <laughs> yeah. This can't be the first time he's wrestled since he's been on SmackDown, surely. They can't be that terrible at this. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Actually. Oh my god. Yeah. Watching this match, it's really, really pacey, lots of strikes and counters, and I. Just couldn't help but think, why wasn't Apollo ever moved on to 205? Yeah, I agree. Um, when Apollo came out, I completely forgot about Apollo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, Apollo Crews! Yeah, why? Why do this match on the on this show? Yeah. After another stereo collision, and this weird bit where Murphy, who is the heel, does the first dive of the match. Yeah. It... All ends in the DQ after 4 minutes and 50 when Rowan came out and beat the piss out of Buddy for being a snitch. And some smark in the crowd was like, Snitches get stitches! <laughs> I don't really know where that storyline's going, and I still don't. Elias is here to sing for us, slagging off Toronto, and fans clap along to his local sports team suck humour. And then, who interrupts but Edge! In a Drake Maverick green leather jacket. <laughs> and he actually did a spear. What the fuck? Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, a big surprise. He got a good pop. It's always nice to see Edge. Yeah, lovely reaction. But should he have done that? <laughs> well, I suppose he, he seemed to feel fine to do it. You always know that when Elias comes out and he's doing his little shtick that we're going to have some sort of legend or surprise. It was just nice to see Edge. The headline match of the kickoff show saw the women's tag team titles on the line as the new champions Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross defended against the Iconics. And I couldn't help but think, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, if you're just going to do a one on one match anyway, you know, surely the challenges in the earlier Fatal Four Way match could have. Had one like one-on-one opportunities earlier on in yeah. the year. Maybe you could have done that fatal four-way as the match at Night of Champions instead. Yeah. Why not do the title change here? Like you know, just have Iconics and Bliss and Cross and do the title change on the show here. Yeah. Yeah, it was very wasted. Uh-huh. Did you spot Alexa Bliss's Buzz Lightyear gear? Yeah. 
There's a lot of tweets about that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, she does a little faux laser thing with, with the arm. There's a funky arm wrench suplex by Billy Kay. And then, oh, another stereo move. They both do a hair grab. Bliss's stuff with Billy got a bit sloppy. And Peyton does this weird widow's peak where she doesn't grab the neck. Yeah. I'm like, where's the impact coming from this? Mm. Yeah, it was a bit odd. Yeah. Champs win with the Twisted Bliss after 6 minutes and 10 seconds. It's kind of short and sloppy, really. Yeah. A bit underwhelming. Mm. On to the main show, and it's the return of Pyrotechnics! Woohoo! The next thing to come is for us to have exclusive staging again. Absolutely hate this generic pay-per-view rubbish staging. Maybe with the Fox move we'll see something different. Yeah. Unlikely choice of opener here... The Raw Women's Championship submission match. Yeah, big surprise. Yeah. Still a really big reaction for Becky, despite them saying, oh, it's Natty's home turf. You know, she should be popular. I feel there was a bigger cheer for Becky. Quite muted, actually, when Natty came out, I felt. Big props to the Owen Hart for Hall of Fame 2020 sign as well in the crowd. I thought the early work in this match was decent. It led to some outside stuff with a really good swing into the barricade by Natty. Yeah. And then she suplexes Becky into the bottom rope to work the knee. The sharpshooter hooked into the turnbuckles. Oh my word, that looks so painful. That was a nice move. I was genuinely thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to tap it. How the hell is she getting out of that? Yeah, this is the thing. Why have they stopped doing rope breaks in submission matches? Mm, That's a bit odd. Mm. A submission match, I would sort of say, is technically a no-DQ style match, so why couldn't we have submissions outside the ring? You yeah, know, to be, true, yeah. to be counted as a submission. They've always got to be in the ring. Mm. Pretty strange. Natty got sent into the announce desk and the steps, which hurts her arm, and there's a really mixed reaction for Becky doing the sharpshooter. Yeah. Then Natty replies with the disarm her. She turns the counter to the disarm her into the sharpshooter. Yeah. And Becky then turns, getting to the ropes to get the non-existent break, into her own disarm her, which gets a tap out after 12 minutes and 25 seconds. Felt a bit briefer than I expected and briefer than that runtime, actually. But mm. I thought they had some really nice escapes and exchanges. And you know, I was pleased with this match. Yeah, it sort of flew by. The submissions... I liked, but I just felt that some of the submissions, like, for example, the turnbuckle one, some of them were submissions where you thought they just aren't getting out of here. And the way that they got out was just, oh, they let go. That was my only thing about it, you know. Some submissions that they put in, you can tell that they've not just got it in, and that's how the the other person can get out. Whereas these, I felt there was a few times Becky and Natty had submissions in that I thought they're going to tap now. And then they just let go of the submission, you know, wasn't because they were tired or, you know, because sometimes like we've seen with Charlotte with the submission, you know, she puts everything into it and then she just, she can't take it anymore. I just felt like they, they were breaking out of the submissions for no actual reason. But yeah, other than that, it was a really nice match. Mm. I really enjoyed it. They get an interview with Trish Stratus, who quotes Tom Petty. <laughs> Waiting is the 
daddy's part. She says she's here to remind Charlotte of how lucky she is and calls herself a queen of queens. Mm. Who do you think came up with that idea? <laughs> Next song was Goldberg versus Ziggler. And, oh boy. Oh man. Bill kicks out at one for Dolph's super kicks. And then Dolph gets murdered with a spear. Jackhammer. Goldberg wins at 145. And then there's a second spear after Dolph told Goldberg not to bitch out on him. That's a gendered insult, Dolph. People are actually laughing when Dolph gets the mic again. We're openly laughing at Dolph here. He's just a total joke. He gets speared one more time. I've got to say, I I was laughing every time he got the mic. It was funny. I enjoyed that. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. It was one of those nothing matches, wasn't it? And I suppose Dolph was trying to make it as fun for everyone as possible. (laughs) So the next pay-per-view is going to be Clash of Champions on September 15th. That's probably going to be a longer show than this. They've got like yeah. 11 championships and apparently the King of the Ring final is going to be then. Oh my word. How are they going to fit all that in? Well, the King of the Ring final, I'm going to say now, will be on the kickoff show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call that now. Yeah, in the advert for that, Brock Lesnar's in it. Is he now? Hmm. Oh, because he wasn't in the, the one that... The second time they played it that yeah, night, I, I didn't spot him. Yeah, the first one he's in. Oh. Yeah. Right. Because I think he's like the second picture in. You see him do his shoulder crunch or whatever oh, okay. The New Day backstage present Kofi Kingston with a good luck charm. It's Drake. God's plan. God's plan. Not that Drake. <laughs> Drake Maverick. Who was lured here by the promise that Truth was in the locker room. He wasn't. We then get to our United States title match and it turns out Truth and Mella were at the international announce tables <laughs> pretending to be the British announce team. What would you make to Ricochet's Nightwing outfit? Love it. I'm kind of mixed on it. Okay, and why? This really, really ripped dude is hiding his body for like a special occasion I don't get it yeah I, it looked yeah, odd I, I suppose I mean it, I don't know how to answer to that because <laughs> if you want to see his abs Duncan then that's <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like the visual of him more covered up and like in a more cumbersome looking outfit oh, okay. kind of like wow yeah okay I suppose from that point of view then yeah but I, I really liked his outfit awesome spot early on where Ricochet kind of he's skipping stones over Gallows and Anderson the Hurricane Rana AJ yeah fantastic AJ starts attacking Ricochet's knee but the story of the match is that Ricochet is still strong enough to do lots of his aerial offence despite being wounded like this and he's always finding ways of redistributing his weight absolutely cool one-legged springboard clothesline that was so cool brilliant He even counters the calf crusher with an anaconda vice. Then we get an ace finish to the match where Ricochet takes out the Good Brothers. He heads up top and tries a Phoenix Splash, but AJ counters in midair with a Styles Clash to get the win after 13 minutes. I like the finish and the illustrations of how Ricochet was coping with AJ's strategy, but I still felt it was 
kind of lacking compared to extreme rules and yeah. this goes back to our conversation earlier of mm, you're just doing the same match again for a SummerSlam it's a bit of a yeah I had a conversation with Lee on Twitter as well about the likes of AJ Ricochet guys like that not putting 100% in I was saying like maybe a stipulation would have done that and they would have seen more of them but also I think for AJ while he's with the club and this is no disrespect to the club I don't think we'll see 100% AJ because we'll always get the club interfering and sure. so we'll never get full AJ while this is happening I don't feel I enjoyed the match for what it was I just think there should have been a stipulation mm-hmm. we then see the Street Profits backstage and this is the first time I've seen them do this gimmick on the main roster are they basically just here to do recaps but to translate things into language Gen Z people will understand yes my take on this is that that's exactly what they're here to do and Heyman's huge on them. Yeah, I heard it was all Heyman trying to get dibs on them. Yeah. I've been watching the sticks that they do on Raw and stuff and they, they're really funny. So. Ric Flair turned up. It's quite funny. Do you know, while that was going on and his face was getting redder and redder and redder <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, can we just stop this now, please? Something's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> Onto the SmackDown Women's title match. Why are fans still rejecting Bailey? Mm. What's with this dodgy reaction? Like, she's not taking shit from anybody anymore. It's just like, oh, she's such a lame gimmick. She's such a loser. And now she's, like, actually standing her ground with people. Like, yeah. People are like, oh, you kind of ruined the spirit of the gimmick now. Like, Jesus. Well, you know, this was the only match that didn't have a vignette for it. Yes, yeah. Because there was no, there was no story. <laughs> no whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of harmed the pace of the show a little bit. Every yeah. single match had a build-up package. Yeah, and this was just like, boom, Ember Moon out. <laughs> I was quite grateful for it early on because it meant, oh, I get a piss break now because <laughs> I've seen all of yeah, these things yeah. on the kickoff show, you know. I quite like the wrestling that they did at the start. And there's sneaky little following each other when they're about to do a charge yeah. to prevent them doing the charge. Bailey does an excellent version of William Regal's knee trembler. Yeah. You know, it's not a boring match, but I just feel like when we got to the middle portion, there was something missing that was preventing it from being as engaging as it could have been. Yeah. And it's not helping that the crowd are kind of. They mm, just were not interested. You know, very flat. Some nice flourishes near the end from Moon with her big ending turned into a GTS style kick. Yeah. It's quite fun. And a stiff powerbomb out of a corner. Bloody yeah. hell. Yeah. But then out of nowhere, Bailey cuts Ember off on the top rope with the super Bailey to Bailey to get the win after 10 minutes and 5 seconds. Yeah, you know, they tried some decent stuff, but it never reached the level that I hoped for. If we're talking expectation versus reality. Even though it was fine in general, it didn't really meet my expectations. No, I'm the, I'm the same. For me, it, it didn't need to have been on SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I know that's, that's kind of going really harsh, but I just it was just like it could have been on SmackDown, that, that sort of match. It wasn't anything special. Yeah. The fresh matchups for this show, like this right here, I don't remember Bailey and Ember ever going one-on-one. No. We've got Charlotte and Trish coming up later on. 
they're really hampered by a lack of coherent or even any kind of involved story lines and storytelling. Yeah. And all of the repeat matches, like, oh, we've seen this before, they're kind of enhanced a little bit by their stories. Yeah. Speaking of which, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon followed this. And Shane introduces Elias as a special enforcer on the outside. So that causes us to have lots of... Kevin's being distracted by Elias after Shane runs away from stuff. Owens bumped absolutely great for Shane's DDT. Yeah. Second time of asking, Kevin does hit the pop-up powerbomb, but Elias distracted the ref. And there's lots of will-he-won't-he over a steel chair that got brought in the ring... Another good spot where Kevin did the swanton bomb and then immediately did the bullfrog splash, which caused Elias to pull the referee out of the ring. And then we get the ref bump that allows Kevin to actually use the chair, kick Shane in the dick and kick wham, stunner. And he obviously put enough stank on it because it won the match after nine minutes and 20 seconds. Kind of middling wrestling and lots of distractionary bullshit for the most part. But at least it had the right result. Yeah. It was a fun match to watch. Wasn't special, but it wasn't shit. Really, really liking Kevin Owens at the moment. He's really on a hot streak. Here's to hoping that Shane's disappeared for a bit. We'll have to see. The next bit of the show is really, really odd. So they play the video package from the kickoff show, recapping Rowan's series of unfortunate events. Yeah. <laughs> and then the show clips of... Rowan assaulting Buddy on the kickoff show. And that's the last we hear of the situation. And we're immediately into Charlotte versus Trish, which didn't have its own yeah. video package, which I thought was pretty strange, especially considering the reverence that this match got yeah. when it was actually going on and in the post match. Yeah. But yeah, no Roman Reigns on SummerSlam at all. Did we miss him? I did. Smackdown after this, Roman had an absolutely kick-ass match with Buddy Murphy. brilliant, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Do that on SummerSlam. Yeah. Have this be Buddy Murphy's gimmick. Oh, he's his best-kept secret because he's sneaking around and, you know, is he attacking people? Roman suspects that he's trying to end his career. Wrestle me at SummerSlam, then. Yeah. That would have been great. Mm. Yeah, and if anyone's not seen that match, if you think Goldberg's spear was bad on Dolph Ziggler. Roman Spear, or Buddy, literally broke him and flipped him in half. Wow. It was incredible. Yeah. I think I'm just pissed because I've got to wait for the 30-day post-Hulu yeah, thing yeah. to come so I can get uploaded and I can watch it. Yeah. Whereas if it was on SummerSlam, I could enjoy <laughs> it right away. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like I said, we're into Charlotte Flair versus Trish Stratus. Trish... I thought she worked a lot more mobile and high-flying to cope with Charlotte's side advantage here. Yeah. Really love the way she worked this match. She had her working boots on tonight. Had a nice Hurricane Rana. And then, on the flip side, it's always the simple stuff that regains Charlotte the advantage. Yeah. So, you know, she's taller and she's bigger. Things like a simple kick or swiping Trish into the steps. The elementary stuff is just so much more effective yeah. given a side's advantage. Trish then always used her manoeuvrability and her technique to get back into the match. 
like when she spun out of the back suplex with a crossbody, and she bumps so well. That big boot of Charlotte's has never looked so good. Yeah. It's a nice springboard flatliner after Trish dodged the moonsault, and then a really cool sequence on the top where Charlotte blocks the stratosphere, they brawl, Charlotte blocks the Hurricane Rana, tries a super bomb, but then Trish finally hits the Hurricane Rana. Yeah. That was fantastic. Charlotte would also do great when using her superior range to keep Trish at a distance. Yeah. And it was always when Trish could decrease the closing speed on Charlotte where she could regain the advantage. Trish deals the figure eight leg lock and Charlotte then kicks out of both the Stratisfaction and the Chick Kick and then counters a second Chick Kick with another devastating big boot and that allows Charlotte to lock in the figure eight to get Trish to tap out after 16 minutes and 35 seconds. Yeah, love this match, love how it was wrestled with Trish adapting her strategy and, like I said, putting her working boots on to work around Charlotte. Both were fantastic here. Yeah, I mean, we know how good Charlotte is week in, week out, and it was nice to see Trish back and putting on a great performance as well. It's very easy to get legends coming back and, you know, not exactly performing how we anticipate, you know, expectation reality. But I think she did a hell of a job. It was really nice to see her do all of the old stuff, you know, the Hurricanrana and Stratisfaction. That was a nice callback. My one thing, once this match had finished, is that kind of narked on me a little bit. Two Canadians have tapped in Canada. Well, the problem wasn't Brett tapping. He never tapped. So no, was... I know, but I just I was like, oh man, like Owens is Canadian and he won. Yeah. So this is more about giving Trisha Fong farewell. Mm. It would be stupid for Trish to win this match. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She got a hearty ovation at the end. Yeah, which was very nice to see. Yeah. Great way to go out. Yeah. Tear the house down with one of the best wrestlers in the world. Okay. In your hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of native Canadians, (laughs) Bret Hart's... Thoroughly enthusiastic endorsement of Seth Rollins. He looks so happy. <laughs> oh, Seth, you know, I just want to wish you good luck in your match. You know. I don't think you're a dangerous worker anymore. GFX, <laughs> <laughs> Brett. Yeah. That means so much to me. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> it was weird. Very weird. <laughs> You'd like, you could... I'm feeling the confusion on Seth's face was genuine. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell's just happened? <laughs> on to the WWE title match. Xavier's Stevie Wonder cosplayers. <laughs> Incredible. I had to laugh at Orton offering Kofi one of his own pancakes back. <laughs> Did you see the little clip video that's been going around Twitter of Kofi's entrance where he's throwing the pancakes around? And there's the woman on a phone, and he lobs a pancake at her. Oh no! <laughs> Brilliant, like straight in the face. He tried to throw one to his kids in the front row and missed as yeah. well. <laughs> we get dueling Kofi stupid Randy sucks chants. Some of the fan chants I don't really understand. It's bizarre world. <laughs> 
I don't think it got quite as bad as 2004, which was the last time yeah. they were in Toronto for SummerSlam. They pissed me off something fierce then. Yeah. Kofi's relatively intense during this match, despite him doing you know, his regular glad handing coming out. Orton controlled after pushing Kofi off the top and into the barricade, and then suplexing him onto the announce table. Then there's another painful near miss on the outside, which sees Kofi suplexed into the table again. There's a very attritional fight over a superplex up the top that eventually turned into a tornado DDT from Kofi. And there's a nice Trouble in Paradise counter with the three-point backbreaker by Orton. Very rarely, though, does this match get out of second gear. Yeah. You know, you get the odd decent counter, like Orton blocking Kofi's corner pendulum kick and turning it right into the draping DDT. Of course, we get our requisite RKO out of nowhere from Kofi's froggy crossbody. But Kofi was able to roll outside. Then Orton gets too obsessed with Kofi's family in the front row and both men get counted out at 17 minutes 30. Kofi's all pissed off about it and attacks with a kendo stick and then the trouble in paradise. This feud must continue. It was bullshit, that totally. I completely forget that... A double count-out is a possible valid way to finish a match-up at all, let alone at a SummerSlam. And this is two years in a row now where we've got the WWE title match ended in a non-finish to continue the feud, yeah. and it revolves around a guy's family. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? The, the top four pay-per-views are where you end a rivalry. Yeah. Or one starts. You know, so, you know, someone comes out at the end or whatever. But... It's not a continuation pay-per-view. You use that for all the other sort of pay-per-views. Exactly. I know I complained in our first segment about how Joe was just one and done, yeah. but SummerSlam is not the time to do a non-finish. Yeah. The wrestling beforehand was kind of languid and meandering. I really wanted Orton to win. Mm. <laughs> no. Kofi can have it back at Night of Champions. I just like Orton. In that match, he was super chill. He knew exactly what he was doing. The RKO out of nowhere, slick as anything, on point. And I know people probably don't like Orton because he doesn't come out of second gear, but when you're just that chill in the ring, I suppose you don't need to. He kind of needs to. (laughs) Next match, Finn versus The Fiend. Wow. That entrance from The Fiend, fantastic. Incredibly disorienting. Like, like the way they change the camera shots. So you, yeah. you don't know where he is. Like You can't really track what point he is. Yeah. And I loved the reversioning of his old music. I believe it's Code Orange that's the band. They did one of Ali's entrances one year. Yeah. The best thing about this entrance is, at this point... Steph had completely dropped off to sleep and I don't know whether it was the music or whatever woke her up she took one look and it was the point where it was Bray Wyatt's head was the lamp <laughs> yeah and she's like what the fuck are you watching and I was like it's still SummerSlam <laughs> yeah oh my god that lantern with the light coming from Bray's mouth yeah apparently that's got edited out of YouTube the really? YouTube clip of this entrance. Right. Yeah, very, very good. When it comes to the wrestling, Bray seems to wrestle largely the same 
except there's a couple of head focus spots. So there's one point where Finn does his double stomp to Bray's face instead of the chest yeah. and Bray can survive it because that mask is so heavy and Bray does headbutts with it and stuff. Most of the change in Bray comes from the presentation and the timing of some of the stuff he does. But one thing I would change about this match, that neck snap's far too graphic and it's weird that you put it slap bang in the middle of a match, you know. Oh, I guess I didn't murder you. Yeah. I'm going to go back to regular wrestling now, you know. Uh, yeah, you'd, you would definitely put that at the end. I quite liked that, but as you say, having it in the middle doesn't give it the effect that it should have. It's too graphic and cringy for me. I would have had that as the final thing of like sending Finn on his way, you know. Right. Finish the match. Done. See you later. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It, it, it is cringy, but if they were going to do that, then it should have been at the end. Yeah. The one final thing that's different about Bray's offence is he's inherited the Mandible Claw as a finisher, and he catches Finn from out of midair with it, out of the coup de grace, to get the win after 3 minutes and 35 seconds. I enjoyed it. Very good debut for The Fiend. I just really, really hope that WWE protects this character because they've got an absolute goldmine here of potential stuff. So just don't waste him and you know make his character shit like unfortunately they did with the Bray Wyatt character. Mm. Question for you. Go on. What's your thoughts on new generation superstars now using our legends finishes? It's kind of hard because I guess we didn't really get it back then because the finishes from wrestling back in the 80s were so elementary compared to the style of wrestling when we began yeah. being fans that often what would have been a finisher back then would have been just a transitional move back when we yeah. first got, got into wrestling. And you are reaching a point where it's getting harder and harder to innovate. So I think Braze is definitely... The best way of doing it. Yeah. He attacked the originator. Yeah. And took him out with Sucked it. Sucked the power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Kevin using the stunner is a bit more out of left field. I think it's more character central, isn't it? I'm trying to be stone cold, so I'll use the stunner. Yeah. For me, I've not got a problem with them using it. I just feel that they should maybe change the name of it. Sure. Do you prefer someone inherit a finisher regularly or have something like the Street Profits spots in their takeover match where they did the rock bottom? And Yeah, I think having a spot would, would work well. Similar to Seth Rollins, let's say, you know, he rarely uses the pedigree, but he does use it. So... I don't think that they should inherit the finisher as it's, boom, that's the main finisher. I think it should be a thing of one of the old school guys have said, take my finisher, but mm. you use it, sort of thing. Because mm. then you get into a fine line of like, well, Edges finishes a spear. How many people use a spear? What would you class as, as like your big finishers? 
the ones where it's hard to get over that you're using a different technique, I think. Because, mm. like, Edge's spear is different from Roman's spear, which is different from Goldberg's spear, yeah. which is different from Batista's spear, etc., etc. Yeah. Et yeah. Switching music, I forgot about that. Yeah. Dolph uses that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not got a problem. I just, I think it should be used less frequently, and maybe they change the name of it. True. For me, this is an ideal in-ring debut and a great continuation of the presentation of this character. Really excited for it. Yeah, super excited. On to our main event. No-brainer, it's the Universal title match. And Brock got his pyro back as well. Yeah. He looks good, Brock. Yeah. There's some vocal boo-boys for Rollins, but there's still a lot of positivity there. And we have the Suplex City burn it down dueling chance yeah. throughout a bunch of this match. Seth, despite the attacks on his ribs, still has the agility to evade suplexes from Brock early on. And an early curb stomp hits, but Brock got out of it. A second is met with an F5 after another spirited flurry from Seth. And there's this awesome visual of Brock swinging Seth around the ring oh from his rib tape. Yeah. Suplex City does get back in the session after that. The gloves come off after Lesnar ends another of Seth's flurries. And appropriately enough, consider our previous episode, Brock clocks on the bear hug. Yep. Super intense spine buster into the post by Brock. Then a terrific five-star frog splash through the Spanish table by Seth. He genuinely looked hurt, Brock. <laughs> Seth hits another frog splash in the middle of a ring and the curb stomp for a really convincing false finish. And then the F5 has escaped for one final curb stomp for Seth to regain the championship after 13 minutes and 20 seconds. Brilliantly worked match. I loved it. This was the kick up the arse both of these men needed. It's a fantastic performance from Seth and he turned a crowd who were perhaps... 60-40 in favour of him to one that was 90-10 in favour of him. Yeah. Fantastic. A big old all-out drag-out war that kept Brock looking like a monster and made Seth this great never-say-die babyface. 100% agree with that. Absolutely fantastic. Controversial comment of the podcast. This is my favourite Brock Lesnar match since he returned. Right. This is exactly what I was talking about when we were doing the 2002 review and I was saying that Brock back then was a wrestler and not someone who came in for the money. Yeah. Whereas I felt that the Brock-Seth match, he was very much working as a competitor. Something about the match, he looked different, the way he moved was different, the way that he reacted to Seth's moves were different. You know, sometimes in previous matches he'd no-sell stuff. Whereas everything that Seth hit him with, he just sold like over and over again. The frog splash, he just went in overdrive with that cell. So yeah, for me, my favourite Brock match since he's been back. Hmm. I wouldn't say it's my absolute favourite of his post-UFC days, but it is my favourite style of match that he does. You look at the same sort of mould as when he faced Brian and when he faced AJ and when he faced Punk. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely this was worked so well, so much more competitive and rewarding than I would have expected with the angle going in. Yeah. You know, for me, 
I don't really need to say much about Seth because he's my top guy at the moment. He can't do anything wrong for me. He deserves to be the champion. You know, he, he works his socks off week in, week out. He rarely has a bad match. So, yeah, fantastic. I saw a few people mention on Twitter that they wished that this was the way the WrestleMania match was worked, where Seth won the title. Yeah. I don't know. There's lots of Captain Hindsights who are like, yeah. oh, well, Seth looked like a fluke the way he beat Brock at yeah. WrestleMania. Like, no. There's no way you were thinking that at the time. Yeah. You're only going back and micro-analysing this because he had a shit rivalry with Corbin. Yeah. I mean, what what did they say? Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know. Like, go back and watch WrestleMania and the way that match is worked is absolutely perfect for the environment around WrestleMania yeah. and around wrestling at the time. The way the second match was worked was the right time for it. Yeah. It changes the story completely. I agree with that. What's next with Brock? Apparently he's got no rematch. He's supposedly off to SmackDown when it starts up on Fox. Really? Yes. So what's happening with Heyman? Heyman's going to run Raw but be on SmackDown. Every now and then. Well, yeah, Brock, you know, he turns up irregularly enough for Heyman to cope with the travel schedule I think and it's not going to be quite so tough because Smackdown's going to move to Fridays yeah that's a good point so you know he's he's got a lot more travel time in between yeah because I suppose he doesn't need to do the live shows does he no no that's a really good deal yeah I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing what happens next the following Raw we got Seth and AJ they had an absolute banger at Backlash hmm Everyone forgets about that because of how shit the Corbin feud was. Oh, yeah. If Seth's reign had been more like his title win against Brock and his first defence against AJ, we would not be levelling the no. level of criticism we've had against Rollins. No. No, no, no. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, another thing that happened on Raw the next night was that they categorically solved their lack of star power in the women's division. What? Oh! the OC just with AJ they need to do something with the Usos I love the Usos wouldn't it be nice to have one of the Usos have a singles belt but still be a tag team because we used to see that all the time back when we first started watching it you know mm. there's plenty of times that tag teams would have a singles belt you know the, the Hardys did it um, Edge and Christian did it yeah APA yeah, yeah. APA so that'd be quite cool because mm. I, I think that they as amazing as they are as a tag team, I do think they could hold their own singles-wise. I think yeah. that would be a great way to emphasise whichever 
one it is that he needs to get out of the doghouse immediately. Hey, look, your brother's getting this big push. Get your shit together and you could yeah. be featured quite this heavily too. Yeah. My only thing that seems to happen whenever a tag team gets a singles belt is that then they always have the partner turn on them or something like that. It'd be nice to just have a very supportive partner. Yeah, it's working great for New Day. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how long that New Day is going to last. At what point does it become stale? I guess it depends on what point they want Kofi to drop the title, what point they want to pull the trigger on Big E being a singles guy, and yeah, what point they're willing to give up on all the money that they get from... Yeah. There's got to be a certain point, because as much as money's good, every money-making faction has split up at some point. You know, how much money did DX bring in? The Shield made tons of money with all their shirts and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. They split them up with the set turn. They're still bringing Shield shirts in. Yeah, I, I think it's just harder with the New Day in particular because of the style of their gimmick. Yeah. I really like each of them as singles guys. Sure. And I just think they're now stuck in that New Day rut and they're not getting their opportunities. Because mm-hmm. the, the whole idea of that, I mean, they talk about it in the Kofi 24 documentary, the whole idea is that they weren't getting opportunities, so they created that faction to get opportunities. Well, now I feel that that book's reversed, and because they're in the new day, they're not getting opportunities. Right. You know, it's always, I will just stick the tag team belts on them. They're good singles guys. You know, Xavier Woods is fantastic in the ring, so is Big E. You know, give them the opportunities. Mm. You know, you give Kofi the opportunity, why don't you give the other two the opportunities? That's my only thing. Yeah. Sure. Final thoughts on the show overall? A fantastic show. Really, really easy watch. The Fiend, I think that's that was my big moment of SummerSlam, seeing what was going to happen. Didn't disappoint. Really enjoyed that. Absolutely loved the Rollins-Brock match. Yeah, I felt it started really well. Then we had like a slowish middle and then it ended really well. Hmm. I feel like there was a bunch of stuff here that was kind of middling for okay. me. There's three really, really huge positives to take out of this. Universal title match, Trish and Charlotte and the presentation of the Fiend character. Yeah. Really high points of the show. I also really enjoyed... The submission match to open and the US title match as well. Yeah. Other than that, I could really take a leave the rest of the show, to be honest. While it was quite pleasant that it was shorter and that essentially makes it like half a card really please me or entertain me in some way. The other half and the layout that they have, every single match with a video package, it, it felt a lot more middling and languid than I think they would have hoped. Certainly I would have hoped for. Okay. So i definitely check out those high points that I mentioned. Can't really give it a categoric recommendation for me because there's too much take it or leave it. And the WWE title match was just... Bullshit. A joke. Yeah. Yeah. 100% behind the Toronto bullshit chance yeah. for that. So, in the spirit of 
expectation versus reality, which match exceeded or met your expectations the best and which match left you the most disappointed? Kofi Randy was just beyond ridiculous and exceeded expectations was Charlotte and Trish. I, I knew it was going to be a great match, but I just felt like I'd said, you know, legends coming back, would they be all right in the ring? Mm. You know, Trish was super in the ring, absolutely super. And then Brock and, and Rollins, again, super. Yeah, sure. Um, pretty similar, really. Most disappointing things, Kofi and Orton, the non-finish on a SummerSlam, just not acceptable to me. No. The thing that exceeded my expectations the most was the Universal title match. Like mm. I said, the, the storyline going into the match, I was not expecting the match to be worked the way it was. And yeah. it was really a thrill to see them just have this all-out, drag-out yeah. match that had a lot of meat on its bones. Yeah, I suppose the, from our preview show, the expectation to reality, Rollins didn't tag Triple H in for the match. You know... <laughs> It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, really good. Good. That'll wrap up this episode then. So remember, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review if you haven't done so already. That'd be a great way to heighten the awareness of our podcast. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher Radio and SoundCloud. If you head over to our SoundCloud page, you can find... A playlist of all of our past episodes so far, as well as my guest appearances on the Rawest Nitro podcast. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to our SummerSlam 2002 episode yet, what are you doing? Get on it! We had a blast doing that. You've skipped an episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast, on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast, and give us a like on Facebook to keep a track of all of our news and hot takes. <laughs> yeah. Next time! Well, we've nothing concrete yet, but we are working on a possible long-term project for the podcast, which we just have a few more details to get together. Hopefully you'll be hearing something about in the very near future, so keep your eyes out on all of our social media. Anyway, it's a goodbye on behalf of Kyle and myself, and we'll see you next time. Catch you down the road!